Cell is the leading distributor of radiotherapy patient positioning equipment and physics QA products for the UK and Ireland, supplying both the NHS and private sectors. We currently have a busy event schedule and will be attending many conferences in the next few months, including ESTRO, UKO and many of the regional study days. For a full list of where to meet us, please do get in touch. As well as our event schedule, we also have a busy product portfolio that has recently been updated to. This includes Sky Factory for state-of-the-art visual LED lighting. We have MyQA Ion and IonRT from IBA for automated patient-specific QA for photon, electron and proton radiotherapy. And we also have MR Box from our AI suppliers at Therapanacea, allowing AI-powered MR-only workflows for a more consistent and high-quality planning pathway. For SGRT, we have a vast range of open-faced thermoplastic masks, as well as surface-guided compatible clear bolus from ClearSight, preventing any risk of interference between the skin surface and your SGRT solution. And as always, do not hesitate to get in touch to discuss your product and service requirements with our friendly and knowledgeable team. Our account and clinical specialists are from a radiotherapy and physics background, and we are more than happy to chat about the clinical benefits and the workflow of all of our products. Hi, my name's Laura and I work at Convensys as a Partnerships Manager. Join us at the NHS Oncology Conference on the 6th of June 2023 in Manchester. We will open the debate on how the NHS is planning to lean on new models of delivery and innovation to help manage the current treatment backlogs and improve outcomes on a national scale. All tickets are free for the NHS to attend. To register for your free ticket, visit convensys.co.uk. Hello everyone and welcome to RadChat, the multi-award winning first therapeutic radio fellow oncology podcast. Welcome to podcast number 92. My name is Maman Jogger Anderson and I'm joined by fellow host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, Natalie Woodward, who talked about her experience of cancer and living with the consequences of treatment. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we're very pleased to introduce our guest for today, Mary Oladelli, who will be discussing her career, the charity Cancer Education UK she started and equality, diversity and inclusion. Hi Mary, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Pleasure, it's really nice to see you and would you mind by starting and just telling us about who you are, how you got to where where you are at the moment? Okay, um, so first I want to say thank you. I think it's a great initiative. I think we as therapeutic radiographers, we don't get as enough shine as we need to. So I think it's an amazing initiative to have the first, you know, kind of really therapy-led podcast. I want, just want to say that first. Um, so like you rightly stated, um, I run a charity, but that all started when I was training as a therapeutic radiographer, actually. I was doing my placement years, um, and I did it at the time at Guys in St. Thomas, where they had, you know, St. Thomas at Westminster, and they had um, another sister centre at um, at London Bridge, before it was the Guys Cancer Centre, all in one. Um, and we used to go, uh, you know, both to both sides, and around that Westminster not too far there's obviously Camberwell there's Peckham not too far so you know that high level of deprivation or that environment where there's huge pockets of deprivation and um during my time there a lot of aunties a lot of uncles a lot of people were coming in for cancer at the late stage they were being diagnosed at the late stage 
Um, and even when they came, they were being quite withdrawn. I remember in one of my pre-treatment chats, um, a lady I always mention, her story really, really touched me. Um, she broke down. She was originally Nigerian. She was Nigerian and I'm Nigerian. And she was speaking, um, was speaking in my language and she just felt so confused and she felt so let down by God. Um, so I thought, why don't I start an initiative just to help, you know, aunties and uncles, you know, teach them about signs and symptoms about cancer, how to check themselves, how to kind of answer questions that they had about cancer. And from there, we went to churches, mosques, and we kind of then started it and then it became a charity, to be honest. Um, but it stemmed off the back of my training as a therapeutic choreographer. And then I did my final year dissertation on why, you know, even in a, um, how would I put it, in a developed country like the UK, we still have very low screening rates. And we're talking about the, uh, well, I talked about the Jade Goody effect and all of that, but that was basically what started the, the charity and kind of my career from there on. Can I ask you, Mary, how did you come to be a therapeutic radiographer? Because everyone has a very convoluted story to tell usually. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. So when I was at college, I actually wanted to become a doctor. I don't know if you've ever hear, heard this. Um, so being Nigerian or being African, there are pretty much three main um, careers that you have to take. Is either you're a doctor, you're an accountant, or you're a lawyer, or mm, an engineer as well, anything of those region. So I would say the, the kind of career was kind of, you know, I was kind of like, so what are you going to choose? So I was like, well, my, um, my cousin growing up had sickle cell, um, and I thought, you know, I always wanted to help him, I always wanted to do, so I was leaning, I was always leaning towards more medical line, um, whilst I was preparing for my, um, for my A-levels and the, I think it's called the M no the BMAT the exam you have to write for the medical professional exam that you have to write before applying to medicine medicine school <clears throat> and I had a panic attack like a few a few days before or a few, the night of it and I was like I couldn't do it I was so I was so scared I was like I couldn't do it and then a friend of mine said oh well her mom's a radiographer do I want to come and speak to her mom that I don't have to do it then her mom was like yeah I'm a diagnostic radiographer and she was kind of telling me about radiography as a whole and I was like this is interesting I've actually never heard about this um and so I did uh placement day or a day to just shadow but it was for diagnostic radiography at the time and I thought oh my gosh I am so bored like it's just taking one patient in for a few minutes and then bringing them back out I'm like this is really boring and I remember on the day I was telling the lady I was just like this is a bit boring and she's like but what job isn't boring like like you kind of do the same thing all the time even if you're a lawyer it's just a different case but you're still kind of doing pretty much the same thing over and over and I was like yeah I understand that but I want to do something more interesting so I think we went back the whole group of us who went for like a shadow day um at that point um and then someone was talking about the fact that her mom had cancer she liked radiography and that's why she wanted to do it but she was thinking she might do more um 
therapeutic radiography at that time and she said she's not sure whether she might be able to do it because of the trauma it might bring back up again and when she mentioned it, i was like hmm what is this you speak of and i had already set my university application i'd gotten offers so i was like there's no way for me to change from diagnostic to therapeutic cut the long story short um during um clearing so i didn't get my grade so i needed i think probably i needed an a and i got a b something like that it was just a grade down so i had to go through clearing i was very very stressed and to cut the long story short i applied i had my interview the lady was really lovely i actually am so grateful that i went to south bank because then i went on to guys in st thomas um and that really kind of set me up you know some of my lectures one of my lecture actually is part of the board of trustees. Um, so I had a really great experience. So actually, I'm really thankful I had all of that. So that's how I got to know about therapeutic in a very long and different way. But yeah, if you ask everyone, I mean, like on the Linux, we ask everyone. And we say, how did you become a therapist? Everyone always say they wanted to do diagnostic first, but then they found your route to becoming therapeutic. It's just... It's the calling, it calls you. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you mentioned the kind of the four main professions if you want to go into. So I've talked about this on a previous podcast, but in India it's you either become a doctor or an engineer or you go into some sort of finance because it's it's about stature, isn't it? And that's how you're in society where, where I'm from anyway. That scene as someone important doesn't, you know, with your caste and your background. And it's, I think, coming here to this country, it doesn't really matter. I think yeah. in a way, when you look at international students or anyone from abroad, that mm -hmm. is an area where you realise actually we miss a lot of prospective students or prospective people mm -hmm. into professions because mm -hmm. they only know about doctors. But actually you can become a doctor as a therapeutic radiography, just do a PhD. It's a different yeah. route and actually you can still prescribe medications. You can still do all sorts of different things. It's just you're not the doctor title, the clinical doctor. Mm, 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 mm. even there's so many roles now there's like you know the physician associates there's a podiatrist there's so many roles that i feel like we don't know about and you know even occupational health therapists there's so many different but we've just been told no go and become a doctor like that's just the thing but yeah so mary when you were going through your degree um, at South Bank, were you aware that you were maybe not represented in some of the learning resources or, you know, was there an emphasis around specifically making sure it was inclusive? So not really. When I think back, I mean, first of all, I think in the profession as a whole, um, in my year, when I look back, I was only... I think I was only black student and there was one other, my uh, my friend, he was also from an Asian background as well. So there wasn't a lot of, I think, diversity from the student side. And then in terms of when we, I think, in terms of patient side as well, because we we only saw, the, the patients we only saw who were quite um diverse where was at the late stage you know everyone else coming in quite an early stage at that time anyways was um very much caucasian and i think because there wasn't a lot of word about there wasn't enough word about it there wasn't a lot of um advocacy about cancer you know it still very much is a thing whereby people are not talking about um 
And I feel like that's also a lot of the reasons why there isn't a lot of inclusion within the profession as well, because it's still a thing whereby people don't want to talk about it as a career, as, you know, as patients as well, or as a community. But I feel like now it is getting better. But at that time, when I look back, I don't think there was a lot of inclusion at all at, at, at that time, I would say. What about in the clinical setting? Because um, obviously in terms of academia, you could maybe make huge strides to ensure that the inclusive materials were representative, that you had patients coming in from diverse backgrounds, that you were, even from a recruitment of a lecturer perspective, making sure mm. that the, the staffing was diverse. Mm. Um, but what about the clinical setting? Was that very similar? Um, I would say that was quite similar as well. Um, when I started, it was quite. So I'll take it back. So when I when I was at Southbank, the the professor I actually mentioned, she was the only person who was um, from. So she was from an Asian background as well, um, and I think she was Indian as well. So she was the only professor that. I saw and she could kind of understand where I was coming from in terms of, you know, as a student and managing life and family expectation and cultural expectations as well, I could kind of talk to her and we became actually really, really close off the back of that. So I think one, there is, of course, so I'll take it in, in, in three areas. So I think in terms of profession, of course, there is that lack of um, representation, which definitely needs to improve. And I always advocate that. We need, in all areas of life, we need enough diversity to represent the kind of population that we have. We don't have that currently. In books, we don't have that as well. There isn't a lot of, you know, there isn't a lot of books out there that talks about, and I know you guys advocate for it a lot, um, you know, what different um, skin reactions look like in books as well. Um, you know, so even as a student as well, you know, you know, finding the tattoos, that's another thing. You know, we're always so quick to put a tag on it, but, you know, there there wasn't a lot of, you know, inclusion and diversity, even in terms of, you know, student or publication in understanding, you know, what our, you know, diverse population look like and how we can help them, how we can help support them or manage side effects or even in treatment. And then lastly, I think in terms of, um, in terms of like clinical point of view, um, even when I started as well, walking around, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of other radiographers, like black radiographers. There were a handful in, um, I think there were about two or three in Guys and St. Thomas at the time when I was a student. And I could say, okay, I looked up to them. But then if you think about the whole workforce, if there were only two or three black ladies, it was like, oh, where do we, you know, where do we kind of go from here as well? So it wasn't a thing whereby I, I saw myself as, this is a career whereby I, I feel represented. And in a way, I kind of thought, do I really want to do radiography at the end, at some point? Of course I did. <laughs> um, but it kind of got me thinking, do I really want to do it, actually? Because there aren't people like me or who would understand certain things about me. I hope that makes sense. But yeah. It definitely does, because represent representation really matters. I think in leadership positions, if you don't see someone that looks like you, you're never going to believe you can get to that stage. And I think it really, really matters. Um, I'd say there are a few kind of, you know, leadership positions where you are starting to see it more and more. But even then, 
for me, I'm being a bit blunt, but it doesn't matter if you're in that position. If you don't advocate for more junior people to get to your position, there's no point you being there. Because actually, it's about bringing people up, whatever background they are. And I don't, for me, I don't see enough of that. There's a lot of people I know in senior positions, but I don't see you going into your communities to help other people kind of grow and shine in that way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is one thing that really affects us. So currently, at the moment, I think working um, within that inequality space as well, um, I think as well, one thing that's been happening and one thing I spoke about in another podcast is that when we're talking about inequalities and all this different misrepresentation, the population it affects the most are never the ones sat at the table talking about it. They're not the ones who are represented. It's also another community. I cannot um, talk about my experience as a Caucasian because I've never had that experience you know you know or whatever inequality someone else has faced because I don't know that and I think what really ties ethnic minority or people from you know low socioeconomic background is because there is that almost so I grew up around you know south London and there is that almost would I say street language or that sort of cultural factor to it at all to some extent and it doesn't matter whether you're Asian whether you're black as well there is that kind of cultural element that it's how would I put it it's nationally or it's understood you know you might not look like me but we know that we have similar cultural point of views so if we don't have those people sat at the table at least representing us speaking for us it's quite hard for someone else who's never experienced it to then be talking about something else that they've just read about they've just watched about that's why i always say that you always have to almost send the ladder down we need more people um more as you rightly said um, Naman, more people at leadership positions advocating and more work first recruiting thinking you know, how do we get more people in these spaces? Because if your workforce is diverse, they can even bring their own personal experience to tell you about this is what they're doing, not always the patient's point of view, but your workforce has that power of also saying, this is what I've experienced as well. And I think, you know, the more we do that, the more we see that actually people are not so hard to reach because we always say, oh, this, you know, the hard to reach population, but we will realise that. People are hardly reached, but they're here always saying that we're open to to speak to you, to, to get to know you, but there's just so much differences or we're not spoken to enough. Or we're not giving those opportunities to speak, to be spoken about. It's funny, there's a, an example from a trust. I'm not going to name the trust, but they set up a, I don't know, like a, a grief line, if you want, during the pandemic for a certain minority in Asia but actually the people who set it up with all good intentions, they didn't actually speak to the community. So when they realized that no one from the community was reaching out through grief or talking about death is because that community doesn't like to talk about death, but they never asked them. And you're thinking you've done all this work, which is incredible. It's come from a good place, but exactly as you said, you've not actually spoken to the community. And this example, I just remember hearing it. I was thinking, wow, that, that just, it doesn't really make sense, does it? No, not at all. And I think it has to come. So I was reading an article last night and it was about, you know, all the people doing after the, because you have to think about it. So the, I think the kind of increase about diversity, representation and all of that 
excuse me, came up after George Floyd's death. And everyone who, I was reading an article that said that everyone who actually had a kind of diversity, inclusion or representation role after the death has actually lost it. However, people who are who didn't are still in their role so it's almost like there is that flair and I really hate it to be a tick box exercise because I think about even though you just want to tick that box is affecting so many people's life and I think even though if you don't know how to there's so many people within communities who are doing so many different things that you should speak to them they're gatekeepers within that community and I said this on another podcast one thing I love about like a black and Asian community is that we always group together we have that community spirit you know when someone has just had a baby we all gather together when someone is having you know some kind of progress in their life whether getting married bought a house whatever we all come together there's that whole community spirit but it's so sad that when someone is going through something like cancer that is when they feel when they need that community spirit the most that's when they feel the most alienated out of that community and you know there are so many things why um patients do not trust NHS services as well that's a whole different conversation that I mean, that we could always come back to but there are gatekeepers within those communities that can allow companies trust to really get access to it and really advocate for them for people within those communities to listen to what professionals are saying as well so lots of work to be done multidisciplinary and multi-professional event which breaks people out of their professional silos by delivering free CPD certified education for all healthcare professionals working in oncology. Joe and I are excited to have steered and influenced the programme as part of the advisory board with support from key organisations such as NHS England, Macmillan Cancer Support, Bopper and more. There are over 130 plus sessions of carefully curated content focused on the whole patient pathway across five dedicated theatres keynote speakers, living with and beyond cancer, early diagnosis and screening, clinical excellence in surgery and therapeutics, and advanced cancer treatments. There are many reasons to attend, such as discovering cutting-edge developments in cancer treatment, understanding how genomics and personalised medicine can become part of the bigger treatment options, make sense of an evolving policy landscape direct from the National Cancer Team at NHS England with keynote address from Dame Callie Palmer. Gain insight into what's happening in early diagnosis and screening to improve early detection of cancers with sessions on fit tests, HPV vaccination and targeted lung health checks. There are some specific focused clinical sessions for 2023 on head and neck cancers, blood cancers, breast cancer and bowel cancer. One of our favourite aspects from RadChat is that you'll be able to hear inspiring patient stories along with their real life experiences of living with and beyond cancer. If that isn't enough, you can join the hands-on hub and enjoy interactive, practical sessions to bolster your technical skills, as well as visiting the pod box with us here at RadChat. Visit the event website to find out more, and we look forward to seeing you on the 23rd, 24th of May, 2023 at London Excel Centre. Can I ask very quickly, Mary, you talked about, you know, your, your family and you're from Nigeria originally. What's radiotherapy like there? Oh, 
so reading about it, uh, it's not great. I'll just put it that like that. It's not great. I think it's improved actually from when I when I was um studying, but it's still not great from the public sector. And I, when I when I was studying, I was like, oh, I'm gonna go back home, improve radiotherapy for us. Who knows? Who knows? Because my career is always, <laughs> I'm always doing different things. So from a public sector. If a machine breaks down, that's the end of it. Um, but from a private sector, I know there is a lady who's done amazing work. And she's taken, she's got like a, the Varian Truby machine. She's set it up. She's got um, like a chemo suite. And she's got like physicists. She's got, she's got the really, like a big hospital, like a cancer care. But that's only for people who can afford it now. So people who cannot afford it. When the machine breaks down, that's the end. There isn't that. Okay, we'll take you to another machine. The next machine is in a very, very far place. Let's say we're talking about if we live in London, the next machine is probably in I probably Scotland. You know, you can't get someone else to say, okay, they're just going to easily travel that way. Um, they're still using a lot of cobalt machines as well. It's a really, really ancient and old, an old system. So I, let's just put it that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so confident to go into a radiotherapy machine, like the public sector one. So there's so much that the government could do, but in terms of private work that i think there's from what i've read so far i think they've got a lovely system set up for those who can afford it privately it's interesting you say that mary because we've recently done a series of um basically radiation services over time so it's kind of shown shown the the before straight away when they discovered radiation how it can be used to cure cancer straight through to common day vmap techniques um, and it was interesting actually because we did have people reach out to us from different countries to say you're so lucky because you you know you're saying oh you're in the <laughs> 2000s you've got all this amazing kit they're like we're still using the kit that you've advertised that you had in the 19th century and we were like yeah. oh my gosh yeah we didn't we didn't really think that through um, but it is isn't it it's the fact that there is huge health inequality around the world and we are very lucky and I, I know we strive for better and more investment here in the UK but compared to other countries actually we, we're, it's amazing to be able to kind of access treatment in the way that we yeah. do yeah definitely so Mary what is the charity? Tell us all about it. Um, what is it that you do on a day-to-day -day basis now? Oh, God. Okay. So the charity is called Cancer Education UK. And we raise awareness um, about signs and symptoms of cancer. So we teach people how to, like... Um, what to check for in their body how to check their breast how to what if they notice any signs and symptoms how to advocate for themselves when they go to the gp um that's on one end and then we raise support for patients who are from 
ethnic diverse communities as well so we offer them do they need complementary therapies do they need groceries being delivered as well um and do they just need someone to talk to um as i mentioned earlier you know when someone receives that diagnosis it can be quite a lonely journey as well then also the last thing we do is we get patients after they've had treatments back into the community so we help with kind of like a reintegration process as well kind of getting them confident and back again into the community and society um and feeling whole i think sometimes when cancer patients go through treatment they feel like they've lost a piece of themselves there's always that worry and and i know that you guys would have heard it you know after you know once the treatment stops once they finish their radiotherapy it's almost like they're just left alone and you know what happens next is always a question that we hear all the time so we kind of support them and kind of get them through that those last bits as well um on a day to day so i don't actually run the charity full time just because we don't have enough funding we don't have enough resource um so i pretty much do it on like when i've got annual leave or when in the evenings most of the time my friend and family they all think i'm very crazy um <laughs> and i do it on weekends as well so most evenings you find me very much replying late or do in between work when i've got some free time i can then quickly reply um to things as well um so a day to day looks like me doing probably my normal nine to five role and then um in the evening doing everything to do with the charity weekends sometimes going out to see patients and sometimes or in the evenings kind of planning what we want to do um speaking to the team what next do we want to work on if we have any kind of like interviews like this kind of attend to them schedule them projects that we want to work on as well um providing funding for patients that we're supporting as well for like let's say the grocery shopping so that the volunteers can do that as well um speaking to the volunteers as well because i think it's never an easy thing to do um kind of getting to know them on a one-to-one -one basis as well even though they're volunteers i like to get to know them and know what's happening within their lives as well and if there's any way we can also support them as well um and also planning projects that we want to do you know we're always thinking how do we get to people where they are how do we speak to people how do we get that word about you know you know early detection saves lives how do we get those messages so we think about different ways at which we could we could speak to them and then we look at different organizations that we can work with as well so all that kind of work then gets done in the evening weekends or anytime in between my day to be honest what are the projects that the charity are focusing on at the moment um so we are doing a lot of work with um low um i would say people with very low income at the moment because i think we even though we have um of course there's this huge inequality i think the people at the very bottom at the grassroots level are still being i think ignored and being skimmed over and just being not being reached out to so i i said this at the last at one and i always refer to this podcast the same way i'm going to refer to your other podcast uh, to your podcast and i'm doing another interview as well is that um 
it's great that we have you know some advocacy within you know the working class the you know the middle class and all of that um because there's still a lot of work to do but what happens to the lady who is just you know doing hair or threading eyebrows for a living um who is trying to you know put food on the table or the single mom who is um you know working two three jobs to support her kids what happens to her those are the people who get lost within the pipeline as well and those people who are doing i think very low income job they are the ones that i think would necessarily not prioritize their health because they would think i just need to you know keep surviving i just need to keep providing for my kids and all of this and so how do we get the words out there to them how do how do they know what they um how do they know what to do how do they know how to check themselves so our focus is around targeting those kind of people at the moment because there's a lot of work to do within the grassroots level that i think not a lot of people are doing and when i speak to different charities as well um it just seems like everyone has a different different focus and yeah if that <laughs> if that's clear Mary, what do your colleagues think about your engagement with this charity? Are they supportive and have you kind of recruited lots of people to help you? Oh, okay. Um, so in my current right now, it's actually really, really helped because of the fact that I'm in an inequalities role at the moment. So a lot of expertise from the charity I'm able to take in. Um, so kind of like how I spoke about gate, um, gatekeepers within the community. So I look after the Southwest region at the moment. Um, but what that has then helped is that a lot of the learning I've used, to, I've learned from the charity, I can take it and I can say, have you thought about this? This is what we can do. So for example, we have, I don't know if you guys have had the targeted lung health check, um, so we've been able, so I worked on that for um, areas such as Bristol, Somerset and all of that. So we were able to think about how do we reach out to these communities? How do we get more people there? So we talk about, so we did a lot of community engagement as well. This is what patients want to see as well. A lot of, uh, as we spoke about inclusion and diversity as well, for patients to come forward and share their stories as well. So a lot of that learning basically has been how has helped implement that so everyone's been very supportive and i think the um consultants i've worked with they've always said okay from you know from all the work you do with your charity outside work you know what can we learn or what do you think about this? what should we do about this so that's um that's been great actually and so many people have always said oh we want to we, we want to help but the thing is you know everyone says they want to help but i think when they come to the other end and they say this is a lot of work then they're like Whoa. <laughs> um, let's slow down. So we haven't recruited a lot of people because I think the thing is not about recruiting people, it's about finding people who have the same passion um to do what we do. As I said, you know, I'm not being paid to do the charity. Um it's literally just to help other people to be honest, um, and to get that word out there of what we're doing. <clears throat> excuse me so i think we have to find people who have the same passion who have the same drive who want to do this who want to just do it for the greater good um and kind of thinking about you know the next generation and thinking about how do we get more people involved so yeah we haven't been able to recruit more people but i think once we get those people who are equally as passionate please the more the merrier because there's so much work um to really really
Um, so Mary, in terms of kind of recruiting into the workforce, obviously it's a huge passion of mine, recruitment and retention. And actually um, in my day-to-day role, we're really lucky. We have an amazing diverse workforce um, within the university and 50% of our students are from um, varying diversities. Um, but one of the issues that I find is around attainment and also ensuring that they stay in the profession. So a lot of people will do the course and qualify, but then may move into other roles, other jobs, and not necessarily want to work as a therapeutic radiographer. Do you think that is around the representation, or do you think it's a bigger cultural piece and maybe more societal? Oh, um, I would say I think it's a mixture of both, to be honest. I think, um, and yes, one thing I must acknowledge is that even though I said initially that, you know, there wasn't a lot of representation that's come up from when I I started, but now I think when I, because I always get um, requests on LinkedIn, when I see the amount of diversity that's happened now, I'm so, so happy and so inspired because we need that. Um, So I think it's a mixture of both. I think society won. I think not in terms of cultural, because I think people would like to say, "Oh, I treat patients with cancer from a cult- like from a cultural point of view," or your mom can brag about it. Oh, you know, <coughs> that's what my daughter does. She she they'll probably make her sound like a superhero with more pizzazz on that as well. Um, so I think we are superheroes. We are. Mary. We really are. <laughs> we just don't get. I think it's so sad. Therapeutic radiographers just don't get enough credit. Um, but I think in terms of society, I would say in terms of you know the cost of living as well. Um, it's not a you know it's not a, a profession whereby one necessarily being paid as well as well. I'll be honest when I when I was in my third year and I saw the starting rate for band five and I said, is this it? I said, really? I said, after all the hard work, <laughs> I said, this is it. And I remember saying, I mean, I've said this in several interviews before that. I said, I'm just going to take my degree and I'm going to go and get a job in the city and just live my life, like, as a real, true baby girl. I was like, yeah, I, like, that That money was too small. But I think the passion then diverts the way. So I think... In terms of society, just because of, you know, one, we don't as well get enough recognition and you always have to explain what you do to people as well. So I think sometimes that can be also off-putting as well. But we need people whereby we need to show people the the career path that they can take. It would be my answer. I think we can let people know that this is what you can start off as. You can start off as a therapeutic radiographer, a consultant um, um, radiographer. What does that look like? You know, a research radiographer. What does that look like? People can't necessarily see themselves um, growing within this role. And I think it links back to kind of what we said earlier in terms of the leadership. Like, showing people what they can be kind of tells them okay this is what I want I want to aspire to because at some stage within my career I was thinking where am I actually going with this so I went from being so I went therapeutic then I went to senior then I went to okay now I focused on proton and I you know I just did proton alone um for quite a while and then afterwards I thought okay what do I now want to do with this and I thought that's pretty much it you know I I couldn't 
maybe maybe to me because I didn't know that much people I was like I can't see anyone else within this role doing this that I want to aspire to what does you know someone who he lectures as a radiographer what does that path look like for them there isn't a lot of examples whereby people understand that okay I can I can mirror my career to look like you know joe's career to look like neman's career you know we need more examples like that because when people start people just think so does that mean i'll always be treating patients for the rest of my life does that mean i'll always be in and out of that treatment room all the time but once we once you let people know that actually in the long run you could be a researcher if that's what you really a research radiographer if that's what you're really into um, you know, even speaking at Estro and all of this thing, because I think some people then join and think, you know, after a few years, I'm going to join Electa. I'm going to join Varian because, you know, that's the popular route that everyone knows. And that's why I think people are doing it because they see, you know, they've gone on LinkedIn, they've seen other radiographers that they know. But we don't speak about it a lot as well. Um, I'm starting a new role soon as well. Even as a superintendent as well, letting people know this is how I started off as a superintendent as well. There are so many answers that we can give people and reassurance that, you know, you can start. Don't despise humble beginnings, if that makes sense. Mary, you said you do obviously a lot of health inequalities work mm. anyway within your role. Have a bit of a direct question if you feel comfortable answering. So, you know, diverse people, we get labelled a lot. BAME, person of colour whatever what how do you feel about these different terms um well firstly i'm glad we're no longer using hard to reach um because i think for a long time when i started within my career i was like we're not hard to reach like we're really not um i think finding a word that really um I think puts together what we're trying to say. Some people have said global majority. Some people have said um, hardly represented. Even currently for us as well, we're trying to look at how do we change, you know, what we what we put that our target audience is. Because if you look on our website, if you look on our social media, we put black, Asian, ethnic minority, refugees as well, and low socioeconomic. And it is a mouthful. Um but it's something we as well we haven't we haven't quite figured out as well but i still feel like i want something that doesn't doesn't speak down on us but actually speaks up about us if that makes sense i don't know quite what the word would be and we haven't figured it out as well um but i think things like ethnic minority people kind of People are like, mm, I don't really want to be associated with that. So, yeah. I always tend to use diversity and inclusivity because it represents absolutely everyone. Um, but it, it is a challenging sector to kind of make sure that we are reaching everyone that we want to be able to kind of represent, um, but without offending anyone and using that really inclusive language exactly exactly and i think really even from a minority point of view i mean someone someone asked me one day they're like i hate that word minority because it's just like it really looks down on us and it's like that's the issue and the person went into a full outrage he said that's the issue with this you know 
in in their world verbatim they're like that's the issue with this country because they look down on us with those kind of language and i think you know when we then move on to other words it's like you know as we've said you know hard to reach or um underrepresented or it's it, it it's just words that are not they're not proud you you know it doesn't make people feel it doesn't boost conf um it doesn't how would I say it doesn't speak confidence of their heritage or it do, it doesn't give them confidence in what you're trying to say or in how you're trying to reach out to them is what I would say it's such a minefield that's that's the only thing anytime I do skincare lectures or talk about diversity people say well then what what should I call you I'm like well I've got a name ask me ask me what I like exactly I like it. it's it seems simple but I think people are now going in different directions where they're so scared to say something they don't want to offend anyone like, you have yeah. to offend someone to understand them I suppose sometimes I'm not saying go and be racist obviously but <laughs> you have to talk to people and ask them what they want to be called and actually sometimes it could just be yeah. I just want to be called by my name because actually I'm just a person yeah. again we can boil it completely mm -hmm. down and say all these terms we don't need them we're yeah. just people at yeah. the end of the day but actually the more and more terms it just dilutes the problem of racism or the, the bullshit yeah. thing of unconscious bias it's if as soon as it mm -hmm. becomes conscious or as soon as it comes to the front of your mind there's no such thing as unconscious mm -hmm. bias it's a bias i just i really mm -hmm. dislike seeing all all the time on nhs website oh i've got this unconscious bias training yeah. it's not unconscious if you're talking about it as conscious it's, it's bias just, just, just say what it is <laughs> we just keep diluting all these things down sorry my little passionate moment <laughs> no that's absolutely fine honestly there's so many people who share that um who share that frustration as well and it's like just i'm a person i'm someone's mom i'm someone's dad i'm someone's sister i mean you know i am a person first forget about you know the color of my skin forget about my long um you know ethnic name or whatever i'm just a person I'm just just like how you would like to be regarded as a person see me first as a person and i think that's the that's the message that needs to be drummed in at these tables that are always speaking about what, what do we call them next how about just people <laughs> um we're coming towards the end mary we always like to end with top tips you've given us lots of good nuggets and things to consider what would you give our listeners to take away from this episode so many things um I think from the for the student who is let's say in their placement years and I'll break this down in different levels for students who are you know going to placement thinking oh this career I really just want to reassure you like there is light at the end of the tunnel it feels hard now you go into placement you're doing other way you know wiping the bed all the time I remember there is light at the end of the tunnel and one thing I love about radiotherapy is that, you know, even though I'm out of the clinical setting, is that there is that unspoken joy or satisfaction or gratitude when you see that patient on their final day and they're so grateful or they bring their friends and family around and they're like, oh, this is, yeah, this is their granddaughter, this is their child, this is so, so, so. And they're so grateful for you sticking it through. I know, you know, society at the moment does not reflect it with the cost of living and with pay agenda as well, but there is like at the end of the channel and I would just say one persevere. 
um, and you can do it and you can definitely make that difference from you know stepping into the career and actually being part of the workforce and with treatment I think with the radiographers I would say you know who are now qualified and trained and, and, and licensed I would say you know really re looking at around how can you be the change how can you speak up for others how can you ensure that there is enough representation what are the inequalities that you see around you that might not you know that you might necessarily in your only two way you could help in addressing you know if, let's say for example a lady from a Muslim background comes around and she says she wants female only radiographers you know sometimes it sounds like Oh, it's such a you know it's such a chore to go and find an extra female radiographer, but it actually makes her feel more comfortable, and that makes her with her feeling more relaxed. Setup is easier, imaging is easier. Ultimately, treatment would be easier as well, and so many different things as well. So it's about the little ways at which we can think about our patients more from their cultural point of view, um, from their you know ethnic point of view as well but not only from the ethnic point of view as well i really want to stress this as well we also have people from low socioeconomic background as well and they could be um they could be um they could be you know caucasian they could be european and they don't necessarily know how to read they don't know how to defend themselves as well those are also included in diversity and inclusion i must say because I don't want it to sound like we're always advocating just for black and Asian people. There are people as well within those groups, like I said, growing up in, you know, in South East London, whereby the reading age is really, really, is really, really low, if I'm being honest. They're thinking about those patients as well. How can you advocate for them as well? How can you break down, you know, those instructions that they need to do into bite-sized information for them to know as well? What are those, you know, inequalities around that you can see that you can address? And lastly, I think um, for, you know, managers level or, you know, you know, um, anyone within the leadership position is a, how can you make your, um, your workforce your team as well how can they represent they should represent your population they should be um someone who can speak about their own personal experience as a whole we need to make the workforce more diverse we need to make our teams more diverse we need to have representation from every from every population it shouldn't be a decision about them without them there is what i would say Perfect. That was a really good way to end as well, I think, talking about what we have. Thank you so much for coming on, Mary. It's been really insightful. But yeah, thank you for everyone for listening to Rad Chat. It's your host today, Ben Namanchokranson and Joe McNamara. If you're utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, please consider the reflective questions posted, along with the links to resources and literature we've discussed. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. Our next guest feature will be Lindsay Allen, who will be talking about her role as a Macmillan Oncology Dietitian. So thank you very much for listening and take care. UKIA Conference is back June 2023 in Liverpool for three days and is fully refreshed to respond to feedback from delegates to reflect the world we're living in today. Prices are lower than ever and start at £75 to access the full Congress and all content. They've changed the programme to focus on specialists for the generalist and top tips content rather than highly specialised topics from previous congresses. There are more sessions on service optimisation, education and workforce. Something that we love is research and it's at the heart of the programme. 
There's more proffered papers, sessions to present your work, expert sessions on refining research proposals and power pitches, and a dedicated research hub. If all of that isn't enough, there are themed hubs in the exhibition on service delivery, clinical case studies and innovation in action, along with more hands-on and technical workshops. Industry partners have added valuable education content on their stands too. You can also check out CPD outside of the programme in case of the day activities and view posters. There are streams aimed specifically at masterclasses for trainees, making UKIO the place to come for value for money exam prep, along with sessions throughout the programme aimed at students. The programme is available to view at www.ukio.org.uk, where you can also register, and there are more than 100 plus sessions to choose from. Make sure you use the code RADCHAT25 on the booking page. And don't forget to come and check us out in our RADCHAT pod box. See you on the 5th to the 7th of June 2023 at ACC in Liverpool.